Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter, so you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe so you don't miss any future Leading Saints content. All right, I'm here with Nate. Nate, tell us uh, who you are, where you're from, and uh, why do you support Leading Saints? Yeah, my name is Nate Boone. I'm from Monroe, Washington. I am just an Elders Quorum president, trying oh, come on. trying his best. <laughs> I was introduced to Leading Saints about a month ago from my wife's cousin in Idaho, and he just told me about it and uh, said how amazing it was. So I subscribed and listened and decided that it's super important for me to help it grow. And I just think that no one seems to have the market cornered on good things to say or ways to be better. And Leading Saints just offers, you know, bits and pieces of insights and knowledge and just amazing principles and things that help me become a better person, become a better leader. And, you know, all of us, frankly, just to be a little bit better. And I appreciate that. And I think that the more we can try and understand how we can better ourselves, the more we will actually become better. And so I'm appreciative to you, Kurt, for the effort you put into this and want you know, others to see how they can be better as well. Hey, you found us again, the Leading Saints podcast. I welcome you back. My name is Kurt Frankum. I will be your host. And if you're new to Leading Saints, we're <laughs> I'm gl- so glad you walked into this uh, virtual forum here to learn, to engage, to uh, hopefully be inspired by some leadership content. And uh, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization, 501c3, that is dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through uh, content creation. Through this podcast, we've got online articles that various people have uh, have written. We have uh, virtual conferences that we put on, the weekly newsletter, and on and on it goes. So definitely jump in, visit us at leadingsaints.org. Make sure that you're uh, you're subscribed and everything there so that you don't miss any content. And we have 400 plus episodes that you really should spend some time going back and listening to every single minute. Okay, you don't have to, but I'm always surprised. I actually meet a lot of people who said, Kurt, I found you uh, a year ago and I've listened to every episode. And uh, wow, that means so much and really helps us uh, perpetuate the knowledge that's been learned here. And I feel so fortunate that I've been able to sit through personally all 400 of those episodes. Now, this episode is great. I mean, I always look forward to having an emeritus general authority on the podcast to talk about leadership, to talk about perspectives on the gospel, doctrine, whatever it is. And in this episode, we interview Elder Craig A. Carden. And I'll just read his bio off the church uh, website so that uh, 
they put it very succinctly and, and to the point. So Elder Craig A. Carden was sustained as a general authority 70 of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on April 1st, 2006. He was released October 6, 2018. He has served as a member of the Africa West Area Presidency, which we talk about at uh, length in, in this episode, editor of church magazines and an assistant executive director in the priesthood and family department. He also served as a member of the Pacific Area Presidency. Elder Carden studied accounting and earned a Bachelor of Arts from Arizona State University. He received a Master's of Public Administration from the Harvard Kennedy School with a methodological area of concentration in leadership and was named a Latour Fellow. Prior to his call in 2006, he was an entrepreneur with multiple business interests. Elder Carland has served in a number of church callings, including full-time missionary in the Italian mission, president of the Italy-Rome mission from 83 to 86, stake president, bishop, high counselor, counselor in a stake presidency, counselor in a bishopric, elders quorum president, institute instructor, and gospel doctrine teacher. Craig Allen Carden was born in December of 1948. He married Deborah L. Dana in November of 1970. They are the parents of eight children. And most recently authored a book called Growing Up Into the Lord, Recognizing and Responding to the Voice of the Spirit, Living in Peace, and Blessing Generations. And I had opportunity to get advanced copy of this wonderful book. That's one of my favorite parts of this job. I get advanced copies of books. And I read every word of it, loved it. Really inspirational content with just uh, nurturing a family, nurturing individuals, leading individuals to better hear and understand the Spirit. And so in this episode, we talk about all aspects of his uh, his time leading in the church, especially his time as a general authority, and then how this the concepts of this book apply to the leadership experience when it comes to praying about callings, making sure that you're following the will of the Lord in council meetings. What if inspiration between two individuals contradicts each other, right? And so a great discussion. I appreciate him allowing me I dig into some weeds here that... I geek out about uh, these leadership concepts, and so he was so good at entertaining my questions and just a phenomenal interview. You're going to appreciate it. So here's my interview with Elder Cray A. Carden. Today, I have the opportunity to connect uh, via the web with Elder Craig A. Carden. How are you? I'm doing great, Kurt. It's nice to be with you today. Very good. So our do people still call you Elder Carden? I mean, the titles in the church have the long tradition. So now that you're an emeritus general authority, uh, what do you usually go by? Uh, that question is asked often. And uh, <laughs> the that... best answer I can give is whatever the individual speaking feels most comfortable with. All right. Well, we'll go with Elder Carden uh, just because I'm used to it. So <laughs> there's there's no uh, given standard. It's and, and we all recognize, I certainly recognize that it's uh, out of respect for the office and that uh, we're right. just honored to hold that office occasionally. That's right. Now you, was it, what What year did you, it was 2018 that you were, you have uh, emeritus status, is that right? Correct. Nice. Called in 2006, uh, April 2006, and then as is the pattern uh, in the year of release, I was released, usually the pattern, yeah. of course, but released in October of 2018. That's great. And you've recently written a book called Growing Growing Up Into the Lord, which I definitely want to jump into some details there. But maybe we can discuss a little about your time as a leader, this being, you know, we focus on leadership topics here on the Leading Saints podcast. And so I'm curious, you know, there's always these interesting stories behind the scenes of how people are called. How did that call come to you in 2006 to serve as a General Authority 70? Well, as you would understand from your own experience and as others would understand from experience, it's a remarkable 
thing to, when the Spirit of the Lord directs these things. And it was, uh, I had been released as a stake president for 10 years and had been oh, teaching, wow. had been teaching Sunday school and institute classes and working with young men and that type of thing uh, during those 10 years and was contacted. There was some prior contact that was very, that was uh, just exploratory and wanting to confirm certain details and understand our status. Uh, and that, that contact came from members of the 70, from the seven presidents, members of the presidency of the 70 prior to the call. And then in early 2006, the telephone rang and it was President Gordon B. Hinckley. Hmm. And uh, it was the uh, length of the conversation was, I'm, the best I can remember was maybe four minutes or so. Oh, wow. it, was a very, it was a very brief conversation. There had been, as I mentioned, there had been some other calls, nothing committal, just exploratory calls previous to that. But in the call, he just wanted to confirm that he was really speaking to the right Craig Carden, didn't want to make any mistakes <laughs> that way. Yeah. And he uh, then just made a statement. He said, well, Brother Carden, you are called to the 70 to serve in the second quorum. And then because of the circumstances relating to service in the second quorum, he wanted to confirm a few personal things at that point with regards to financial ability and status, etc. But then moved right on and and said others will be in touch with you. Uh, at that time, the senior president of the 70 was Earl Kingy. He said, Elder Kingy will be in touch with you later and be sure and listen to what they say. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I bet you wanted to, yeah. And that was it. There was no, there were no uh, other questions. Yeah. And was this to, like maybe a week forward. before general conference or? No, it was, uh, it was a couple of months before oh, general okay. conference at that call. So you were able to catch your breath a little bit before they announced you, right? Yes, yes. So then we were invited to be present at the conference, and uh, a lot flowed after that. I bet. Just in general circumstance. And is it typical that they ask you to find a, a place of residence there in Salt Lake, or depending on your assignment, where you'll go? Or So if you do not live in the Salt Lake area, with this call, the church provides housing recognizing that you've got to move from someplace. And so uh, while we were the pattern with us, although it changes in different circumstances according to the assignments, our pattern was to be in Salt Lake City for a couple of months for training in Salt Lake City. So we were just placed in a condo there and uh, they made a condo available to us there in Salt Lake City for a couple of months. And then after that, we began our service in West Africa. So. They do provide uh, housing for those that are not in the Salt Lake area. Yeah. And then when you have your assignment, like, because you were in the, were, were you in the area presidency for West Africa? Is that right? Correct. Nice. In the area presidency of West Africa for five years. Nice. And yeah. is it similar to like maybe if a mission president was called out there, they have a home there that the presidency yeah. lives in and, right? Exactly. They're not together yeah. in the same home, but you have a yeah, home, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, those uh, homes are provided and they uh, do what they can to make them uh, safe and comfortable and nice accommodations. Yeah. You know, I, I remember just from my own experience, even the 
you know, one week not being the bishop and then the next week you are the bishop and there's sort of this identity transition you go through and you're sort you know, I remember trying to even just find the confidence of standing in that role, right? I'm I'm curious of, you know, going from, you know, being in your ward and, and you're in Tucson, is that right? No, in uh in Gilbert. Gilbert, okay. Gilbert, Arizona. Okay. Going from there and then suddenly you're stepping into this role of maybe you've seen, you know, 70s your entire life, respected them, and now you're the 70. Does anything come to mind as far as finding the confidence to step into that role or just getting your bearings there? Kurt, as you experienced with the uh, call of the bishop and other colleagues that you've had in the state presidency, et cetera, there is a mantle associated with the call. And when that mantle is placed upon your shoulders, with a setting apart under the authority of the priesthood. It really is a remarkable thing. And my experience with this was that I was buoyed up. I was strengthened. And you're always, you're always wondering uh, why me and how did this, there are so many others that are more worthy, more capable to do this. And there's wisdom in counsel that says don't, Don't spend time dwelling on that because the Lord has spoken and you're in the seat, you're in the calling. And there's work to be Uh, done, right? You got to get to work. (laughs) There's work to be done. So get busy and listen to to what I have to say and and I'll direct you. And he does. Does Did anybody give you any specific advice during that time or maybe a different time when you're called into position that that you've reflected upon? Uh, It's interesting that the the training in... uh, Salt Lake City for the two months was just to make us more familiar with the all of the various committees and workings and how how things move through and are developed uh, at church headquarters so that we would know once we were in the area uh, serving in a area presidency we would know people who, that we would communicate with and we'd be familiar with the operation that type of thing it was so it was it was a, a familiarity as to other matters on counsel, on how to deal with things, etc. Everyone pointed to heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the training was listen to what the Lord has to say and take your concerns to Him. And you are a general authority of the church to regulate and set an an order. And that'll yeah. be about the Lord's business and do whatever He directs you to do. Yeah. It's um, consistent with the words of the prophets, of course. Sure. Yeah. So so your first assignment is in West Africa. And I know you mentioned in your book, you served as a young missionary in Italy. So I don't know if you're maybe crossing your fingers hoping that one of the <laughs> Europe areas would open. But was that, I mean, Africa, would was that completely foreign to your experience? Had you been there before? What was that transition like? Well, that's a wonderful question. Prior to this time, prior to my call, I had been involved in some uh, philanthropy work and had been involved with a non-governmental organization, an NGO that was doing some work in Africa, and that was doing some training on uh, various matters relating to some of the challenges that, with education that exists there in West Africa. And so I had been to Africa, and quite by coincidence, I happened to be in Accra, Ghana, at the time of the dedication of the Accra Ghana Temple in 2004, and so I just happened to be there at that time. It was a it was a remarkable experience. But I I had had some experience with Africa and some dealings with Africa through this NGO group that I was working with. 
Nice. And then as you get one of these area assignments, do they tell you to plan on five years unless something comes up? Or did you go there thinking you'd be there about five years? Actually, there's usually uh, in assignments like that, you think in terms of three to five years. Sometimes it varies in that regard. It's not a set time. But in West Africa, the at the time, most of the assignments were for about three years and sometimes going to four years. And it was unusual that I would be there five years. I think they just wondered if I'd ever learn. And so they left me there. And it's a little extra yeah. time to see if I could ever figure it out. <laughs> nice. Nice. So tell us about, just from your time there, what did you learn about the church? And especially from the from the perspective of leadership there? Because we, we've all heard, you know, the church is growing rapidly in Africa. And, and with with any growth, there's various variables that come into question. But one of those is, do we have the priesthood, you know, there, the, the men available to step forward and lead? Uh, anything come to mind as far as your time there in Africa? Oh, Kurt, there, we could uh, we could spend weeks talking about this. <laughs> right, I bet. I and bet. Uh, it, it was it was just a, a marvelous, marvelous experience. It is a it is truly a life changing experience. Uh, I think I think one way to describe this just to try and give some context. Uh, there was a senior missionary couple I was visiting with who had been in Africa about six months at the time, and I asked them how they were doing and what they were experiencing. And the sister, the wife in that senior couple expressed something that really captured the essence of this. And, and her comment was simply this, in speaking about the people and the beautiful people of West Africa, she said, they have so little of what is not important and so much of what is. Mm. And she was speaking of the reality that there are difficult temporal circumstances in West Africa, but the people are remarkably spiritual, receptive to spiritual things, I, and they are intelligent, capable people. And when the light of the gospel comes to them, it is, it is remarkable to witness and to see what happens. Now, as you've mentioned, the, the challenge in uh, West Africa, the, the church is growing exponentially in West Africa. And it is, it is uh, remarkable to witness. And the challenge is to have the priesthood strength and the leadership strength within the organizations among the sisters and the youth and all of these things that that can uh, sustain that and that can that can help foster the growth so that people continue to understand the significance of the ultimate or the the objective of being with our heavenly father eternally which requires temple ordinances and uh, and being able to enjoy the the blessings of eternal life. And so it would be easy what one of the one of the challenges in West Africa was to have the discipline to always grow from centers of strength. And this mm -hmm. was counsel that was coming from the prophets. They saw this clearly. The senior brethren as they would uh, work with us, they would uh, counsel us and encourage us in this regard, but that meant growing from centers of strength meant while it would be possible to just go throughout the countryside and to, to go out into the far reaches of Africa and find groups of people that would receive the gospel in with whole villages and tribes coming into the church. It would diffuse the church and would not provide the basis for growth and development 
with that type of growth that would allow the church to sustain itself favorably. So the emphasis was to stay within centers of strength and to let those centers of strength to continue to grow until they encompassed these more outline areas in a natural growth pattern growing out of those centers of strength. Mm -hmm. And there were wonderful, capable men and women, wonderful uh, Area 70 that were called, just had had the spirit of the Lord and the vision and understood what needed to be done and would would uh, go out and train and teach. And, and it was necessary to, to uh, address a, a lot of things regularly that were new yeah. that uh, they just, people had not seen, they were not used to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in the restored gospel, they were able to grow and learn with that with the spirit of the Lord. Yeah. Marvelous. And so to focus on these centers of strength, is that typically, I mean, as far as the application of that, was that just sort of where missionaries were placed? So they didn't go to some remote village and baptize a bunch of people that don't have a church to go to type thing? Exactly. That was yeah. that was part of it. Working with mission presidents and making sure that the missionaries stayed within certain areas. And uh, and part of that, Kurt, frankly, was that this is so second nature to us, we don't even think of it. But we recognize that priesthood keys are exercised within geographic boundaries. Yeah. So you recognize that as a former bishop member of state presidency. I mean, there are keys that are exercised within geographic boundaries. And in a place like West Africa, where there is this uh, positive, there are, there are not many maps. They just don't have the resources to look at things and, and see them in terms of uh, mapping things out on a map. So it was necessary. And consequently, you might see a state president with priesthood keys in an area who had family members that lived in a village 150 kilometers away. And he wanted them to enjoy the blessings of the gospel as well. Mm, yeah. And so he would, he would, with his priesthood keys, he would work with a mission president and say, send some missionaries out to my village 150 kilometers away and teach them the gospel and you'll baptize 100 people. And then my family will have the gospel. And so it was teaching them say, no, now your, your priesthood keys and uh, president, even mission president, you need to work together hand in hand and recognize that there are geographic boundaries and that is outside an authorized area of proselyting. The day will come when they will receive the gospel, but that day is not today. The saints in West Africa waited for 14 years from the time that they first received word and began having dreams and seeing the, seeing the Book of Mormon and visions. And when they eventually received copies of materials from the church and the Book of Mormon and other things, they, faithful men and women in West Africa, taught the gospel. They didn't have authority to baptize anyone. They didn't have authority to organize anything, but they organized officially in the name of the church, but they organized churches. And uh, gave them the name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, even though they weren't organized or authorized <laughs> to do so. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and created congregations waiting, just waiting for the time that the church would come. Yeah, it's remarkable. And when that, uh, when that occurred, what a glorious, blessed day it was. Yeah, wow. The faith there just uh, inspires me. I love it. So I'm curious, you know, with 
you know, like you talked about the helping even state presence understand the workings of, of keys and boundaries and jurisdiction and so forth. You know, the benefit of growing up in the United States with the church is you sort of, you know, even though I was called as a young bishop, I've seen it modeled most of my life. And so I probably couldn't light too many things on fire. You know, I could sort of figure it out. But, you know, with this, they, a lot of these individuals don't have that, you know, the growing up with that model of the church. And so maybe you can't just hand them a handbook and say, just if you have a question, look there. It was there. Is there anything to say to that dynamic of helping, you know, eager young leaders lead accordingly? That was that was the importance of the uh, work of the area presidency in the area seventy in uh, bringing that about. The there are there is now a generation of saints in West Africa, and so what you speak of now and seeing the example is occurring because of the discipline yeah. that was exercised in growing from centers of strength. And as young men and women in West Africa go into the mission field and serve and work with mission presidents and see it, there's now a generation. There are now several decades of uh, example where people are beginning to see this. And so it is beneficial in that regard. But back in, it, it was still a challenge. And I'm, I'm sure it is a, a challenge there still, even though I haven't been there for over 10 years. But it is still a, uh, well, it's not been 10 years. It's been, yeah, well, they, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. It is something to to see that the, uh, the the saints wanted to learn. The bishops, the state presidencies, they wanted to learn. And they just, as you say, they just hadn't seen it. And so they were, it, it took extra effort to help them understand and patience is, as uh, sometimes errors were made. But it was a great blessing. When, and when the temples were built in West Africa, in uh, Abon, Nigeria, and Accra, Ghana, and with others now being built, it is—it's a remarkable blessing to see yeah. how the Spirit of the Lord blesses and directs those things. I bet, I bet. So I'm just thinking back. You know, obviously, in is your role as a general authority, you have different assignments over the time. And I think back to my time as a young missionary when transfer calls would come. You know, it was sort of this this epic moment that we'd we'd wait for that phone to ring or whatever. So did they usually give you a, a heads up that a transfer was coming, and then? When, how do you find out that and where you're going? Great question. The normal pattern, again, there's occasionally exceptions, but the normal pattern with that is that assignments among the general authorities usually begin August 1st and go through the following July. And so in April conference of each year, their following general conference, usually on the Tuesday following the close of general conference, there's a meeting of the general authorities where the First Presidency and the Twelve, identify what assignments will be beginning in August. Mm. So if there's going to be a change in your assignment, you will know about that there in April. And you'll know that beginning in August, you'll be in a, another location. Or conversely, if there's no in change indicated, you know that you'll be continuing there another year approximately. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. And so after West Africa, is that, did I know you spent some time in the Pacific, is that right? Yes. After West Africa, we were assigned to uh, headquarters, Salt Lake City. Oh, okay. And so we lived in Salt Lake City and we were there for five years. So we were in West Africa five years. We then uh, were in Salt Lake City for five years. And then our final two years were in the Pacific, uh, headquartered in Auckland, New Zealand. Hmm. 
Gotcha. And so with your time in the uh, the headquarters in the, the the priesthood and family department, you know, that's sort of a, uh, we hear priesthood and we generally think of the doctrine of, of priesthood or, or uh, quorums and whatnot. Uh, what, what do people maybe not realize as far as the, uh, the department that's actually called priesthood and, and family? Yeah, that's another great question. Kurt. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, we, we hear of the uh, missionary department, and we know mm-hmm. what they do. Right. Yeah. We hear the temple and family history department and we know what they do. Um, and so we we uh, we hear these things. We know the church history department. We know what they do uh, with priesthood and family. It is a huge responsibility and a huge part of what is involved in the church. So think of all of the work of the organizations, the Relief Society, young men, young women, primary, Sunday school. All of that is within the priesthood and family department. Think of all of the development of the training materials that uh, go on that, apart from unique things that are at the, at the uh, unique to each organization, there are things that, uh, that they may in, get into the uh, training. But the preparation of the uh, all of the uh, the handbooks, the uh, oh, yeah. general handbook, for example, the development of the curriculum, the new church curriculum, that all happens within the priesthood and family department. And it is a there are just in all of the departments of the church are these wonderful people that uh, staff that just are inspired and make things work beautifully. And then there are general authorities that are charged to uh, work there and give uh, some oversight to the work and to see that it's proceeding uh, according to the Lord's will and according to the words of the prophets. And the First Presidency and the Twelve work very closely in giving direction to all of those matters. And all of it occurs under their inspiration and direction. But it's really a marvelous instruction, a marvelous schooling on the process of revelation yeah. and how the Lord governs his church. So my those five years in uh, church headquarters were just uh, as rewarding as they could be. Yeah, as were, as were as the entire service. Yeah, and and really the the work of the the priest and family department we we take for granted. You know, our our app just updates overnight, and there's new handbook content, right? And we think, wow, this just came from heaven. You know, yeah. <laughs> but no, there's a lot of people working behind the scenes. You know, figuring out how to how to write this information or whatever it is, and. And, uh, exactly. and they're, they're wonderful, the capable people. Yeah, that's great. And so typically, is it three General Authority 70s who make up a presidency who sort of manage that department or? Oh, again, a very good question. There is a an executive committee for each of the oh, okay. departments of the church. And those executive committees all have generally, again, there might be some exceptions occasionally, exceptions occasionally, but they have three members of the 12 that serve as uh, members of the executive committee. Then there is in each department, there is a managing director, which is a full-time staff person who manages all of the personnel and activity within the department. So there, there is that person. And then there is an executive director of the department who is a 70. Hmm. And then there are maybe five or six other 70 who are assistant executive directors in the department. 
So in each department, you'll have an executive committee that's comprised of three members of the 12. Occasionally, members of the presiding bishopric will be a part of uh, those executive committees. I actually, in every instance, they are a part of mm-hmm. it. And then there will be a managing director and an executive director that form the executive committee. But then outside of the direction and work of that executive committee, you have assistant executive directors, other 70, other general authorities that are working with those departments. Now, I don't know if I confuse you with that explanation. No, that that, <laughs> no, no I think that helps. I mean, and it's just, I find it helpful because just knowing the, you know, the people who, who are getting together and talking and meeting and, and seeking deeper revelation, you know, this isn't just another department meeting or, you know, this guy's an accountant, so he can, you know, obviously that some of those things come up, but, you know, as you meet, I mean, there's a lot of revelation, I would imagine, that you witness come to the surface in those in those meetings. It is a remarkable revelatory process. And it's interesting, Kurt, that, that everyone comes to those meetings seeking the direction of the Lord, trying to understand what uh, they maybe should contribute. And there will be times when thoughts will be presented, and there may be things that seemingly, that, that may seem not to be consistent. But as the committee or as the council continues to work with it and just gives it time, the Lord molds that. And as matters are presented, they will be presented to these executive committees. So, for example, the executive committee of the priesthood department, matters will come forward, for example, relating to the uh, curriculum, the development of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And as they would come forward, the prophets would sit there and hear what was being done, and then they would comment. And at times, they may give uh, some specific direction. In other occasions, they may just say, that doesn't seem quite right to us yet. Go back and work on it some more. Hmm. And no one can really perhaps know exactly why. Yeah, It will just be something that says, it's not quite right yet. Keep working on it and come back and talk to us some more later. Yeah, I, I appreciate that because it's not that they're dictating like, well, actually, chapter two is supposed to be chapter six. And even though they may from time to time, but it's sometimes it's just like, now let's just keep on this. And, and there's more that we can discover here, right? And it's, I think it's important for, uh, for all of us to understand that that is a process of revelation that is, can be valuable also in local units, yeah. um, in presidencies, elders school presidencies, class presidencies, different ways we hear each other. But then we and we counsel and we take things to uh, proper authority to see how things work. And then we await the Lord's direction as it comes through those who are authorized to give it. Yeah, for sure. Anything else about the, your time in the priesthood department that would be worth mentioning? I know, again, that's another four or five uh, episodes, but uh, anything that you want to make sure we hit on before we move on? I think I want to just bear witness of what occurred in the development of Come Follow Me. And what the church is now experiencing with this, we're under the direction of the prophets. Once again, the Lord prepared something that uh, how could any of us have uh, anticipated the significance of what that was going to be during a time of pandemic? Yeah. Or how could we have anticipated the significance of that in individual lives, just in terms of what occurs within a so fully within a home in terms of conversion? And I witnessed in working with uh, such capable people within the organizations of the church, the Sunday school, general presidency, the, uh, the general presidencies of all those organizations, the, yeah. uh, the staff 
at headquarters that are just inspired men and women. And uh, just watching this come together and, and seeing in committees where it's the Lord just didn't roll that out and say, here's the photo now, take it and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, duplicate it. It was a development process that was a revelatory process that was uh, very fulfilling for everyone involved and that was always directed by the prophets. Yeah. And ultimately, when it was right, it was put in place. But that took a lot of doing. That was not a simple process. Yeah. And my, my witness, my testimony is that it is of God. And uh, it's a powerful blessing if we'll, uh, if we'll utilize it. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that perspective because a lot of times with revelation, we sort of, you know, we, we want it to be miraculous or, or simple that, you know, this is from God. He's going to tell us where A connects to B and B connects to C and there it is. But sometimes it takes a while and it's messy at times or, but nonetheless, it's still revelation. And what I love about that process is that those involved, they grow and develop as individuals much more than if God just said, well, here's what come follow me looks like and uh, run with it, right? Yeah, I think the prophet Joseph experienced that even as the church was, the restoration was occurring. And as President Nelson has so beautifully taught, it continues as, as the restoration continues. Yeah, It's just you work in faith, you exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he directs these things. It is marvelous. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, I was a, as a general authority 70 or uh, any, any 70, I guess for that matter, they, uh, there's weekends are typically filled with some state conferences, right? There's you're assigned by the quorum of the 12 to, to attend conferences around wherever area you're serving in. And I'm just curious, and this is maybe, uh, you know, I'm always curious, especially as a leader who's had several callings, what they'd say to themselves, you know, way back when maybe you were a bishop or beginning as a stake president, because you learned some things, you gained some wisdom that maybe you'd share there. And so on that note, like, I'm just curious of your approach when you get assigned to a, a state conference and you're to, to preside, any specific method or approach that you would keep in mind as you would walk into that stake and hopefully serve them well? Yes, there is. And part of it came from what I experienced while I served as a state president from uh, those who visited the general authorities that visited my state while I was uh, residing in the state. Whenever I would uh, get an assignment, my hope was to find the way to understand and know what inspiration the state president had been seeking and receiving, what he was feeling for his state to understand it. And then while I was with him, to try to do what I could to sustain him in that responsibility and uh, calling. And whenever there were things that I felt could augment or could perhaps redirect some of his efforts uh, more profitably, I would share them. But the intent was to try and, the best I was able, sustain the state president in his calling because I knew hmm. that I was going to be there for a relatively short period of time. and for a couple of days, sometimes just a day and a half. And then I would be gone. And it was highly unlikely that I'd ever receive an assignment to be back in that state in, uh, in that yeah. capacity. And so the state president was staying there and he held priesthood keys. And that gave him the opportunity and the responsibility to seek the direction of the Lord. 
So when you say what perspective was there, I, I know that while I served as a state president, how richly I was blessed by general authorities that came into the stake. And while they were there, built me up and acknowledged the inspiration that I'd been attempting to uh, receive and supported efforts consistent with what we were focused on. And when I had the assignment to be the one going into the stake, I uh, tried to remember that. Yeah. It, there was, I considered while you're involved in all the meetings are, that the prophets have identified to be a part of a state conference, I considered my time with the state president and with the state presidency to be the most important time of the state conference. Hmm. The leadership meeting, the Saturday evening adult session, the general session on conference, important meetings where the saints are edified and where, where you try to invite the spirit of the Lord to be present and see lives blessed. But the most important influence I felt could be with the state president personally and with the state presidency. And so yeah. that's, I spent a lot of, had a lot of focus on that. Yeah. You know, a few just leadership principles that I want to underscore there is I just love the approach of walking in there knowing that because it could be easy, maybe less effective, but it could be easy to walk in there and say, hey, listen, Mr. You know, President, I've, I've been around the block a time or two. Let me show you what you're doing wrong and, and give you some advice here and all that doesn't look good. And these numbers could be better, you know, and, and sort of come in with some marching orders. But to really respect that, you know, there's some priesthood keys here. There's some inspiration that the state president has He's been thinking about this stake a lot longer than than you have, right? So to walk exactly. in there with that and it just to, to relate that to a more local leadership level of like having the bishop sort of walk into the primary the same way, you know, that this primary presidencies, they're they're really praying about these things. And we can, you know, just sort of lead out with what inspiration do you have rather than like, let me let me just handle this and I'll get it handled, right? Kurt, that's an important point. Exemplified, I think, by Oftentimes, what happens in a ward council meeting, where there's just a wonderful blessing when a bishop can see himself as a means of giving voice to the inspiration that is coming to members of that council, and with his keys and responsibilities to see that things proceed according to the, the words of the prophets, that he allow some things to be emphasized and other things to be refined, but that he encouraged, that he recognized that everyone in that council is entitled to revelation. And when that sense is felt by members of a ward council, that they, they feel like here, what they're, they need to come to that meeting prepared, spiritually prepared because of what's going to occur there. It's going to be a revelatory experience. Then when they, uh, they come and the, and the bishop sustains them. And if there needs to be some correcting moves, well, so be it. But yeah. it's received. It's received well. And it just fosters more more revelation. Yeah, I love that. The fostering of, of revelation for sure. So I want to, you know, continue our discussion. I think the, the direction I'd like to go and questions that ask it relates really well to your the new book that you've just published. And it's called Growing Up Into the Lord. And maybe just introduce us to that. And what was there a specific question you were trying to answer with the book or what inspired the book to be to, for you to sit down and write it? Well, thank you for that question. 
throughout my wife's and my experience as uh, parents, from the time we first had a child come to our uh, home, we felt the need to do what we could to connect them with heaven, to find the ways to connect them with heaven. And so we had a lot of experience with that. And we, we were not perfect parents by any means. And we made the errors and uh, <laughs> did all those things. And, in, and as there were opportunities to serve within the church, that seemed to be a, a continuing need that people just need that connection and to have confidence in it. It was the, as the Come Follow Me curriculum was being developed, as this whole concept is being developed, it was blessed by the realization, so beautifully emphasized by the prophets, that the conversion occurs most generally within the home, where there is a family that is in the gospel. There are exceptions where there may be individual members of the church that are only members in their homes, and uh, that the church provides wonderful support in that regard. But it is in the home that we learn and grow and experience these things. And the uh, while I was a general authority, oftentimes in state conferences, as we would have discussions about some of these things, and as there would be opportunities to address them in some of the meetings, there are always lots of questions and lots of interest in it. And there were always lots of questions following saying, have you written anything about this? And I, I never had written anything about it. And after my release, as I was talking about it, uh, frankly, I thought that it might be beneficial to write something for the family. And so I, in essence, the basis of this book was something that I wrote that I kind of wrote initially with the family in mind. And as my family saw it, they suggested that it could have a broader base and that it uh, maybe should have a broader base. And so I pursued that. But the intent was to to try and help people recognize that as youth, as we go, as we grow, all of us, and as we experience adolescence, there are so many things happening there that that sometimes there's just an exasperation. People, you know, people say, what happened to my nice, obedient child <laughs> uh, that now is uh, experiencing, uh, I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing with them in adolescence. And it's helpful, I think, to recognize that, that all of this is part of a divine plan. That there's nothing that we can engage it in a way that becomes very positive and very helpful. And that all of us need to have reinforced in our lives this notion, this understanding, this truth, this reality that God speaks to us and we can trust that voice. Yeah. And so this book is about ways that can happen no matter your age, actually. Yeah. And I love the emphasis on trusting that voice because sometimes, you know, th I, I hear this from a, a lot of youth groups, you know, how can I tell if this is just my brain talking to me or if it is the spirit? And that's can be something that question that to really wrestle with early on as you're trying to decipher what the spirit is, whatnot. And then in a leadership context, I remember as a bishop with so many decisions to make, and some of them are more daunting than others. I just, man, I, I, I think I trust that voice. You know, I think this is the direction I'm going. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't think that was the direction I was supposed to go. So from a leadership standpoint, as far as like hearing that voice and engaging with it, what comes to mind as far as refining that skill uh, as a leader? Well, I don't, I don't think the Lord expects us to 
go to the produce department of the grocery store and ask him whether we should buy green beans or sweet corn. <laughs> now, if it's important, I suppose he'll somehow get word to us on that. But what I'm trying to communicate is that the Lord expects us to do our best to study things out, to look at them, to understand what the options are, to look at uh, potential consequences, to try and anticipate what's going to develop. But in leadership within the church, the underlying question needs to be, what is going to best bless the life of that individual? Mm -hmm. So questions uh, about assignments or questions about callings or questions about these things with that underlying question, the Lord will give impressions about those types of things. And on many matters, on planning activities or things like that, he'll expect us to do our own work. And and he's given the promise that if we start to go astray on something, he'll let us know. So you said that you just gave the example that as a bishop, you would start to do something, you'd make some decision, you'd start to go down a certain road, and then you'd say, whoops, that doesn't, that doesn't mm. look like the, the right road. Yeah, That ought not to be reviewed as having, I don't think, as having erred necessarily. Yeah, I think it can be looked at as, as a continuing process of revelation. So you stay tuned. You don't just get inspiration and then close the Lord off and say, okay, I've got enough. enough. I don't want to hear anymore. You stay tuned. You start going down the road and then you open yourself up to receiving cor- correction and direction as you go. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. And and I'm just thinking in the context of like callings, for example, because like, I'm sure you were involved in many uh, reorganizations of stake presidencies and, and whatnot. And that, I mean, talk about a daunting task when you're walking into a stake and you've got to decide who's going to be leading this this uh, stake for, for nine years-ish, you know? And, uh, you know, you definitely hope that you got the Lord's inspiration there because you'd be tough to handle on your own. But as a leader, many times... You know, there's this interesting dynamic, and I don't mean to make light of it, but it's a real a real thing that leaders deal with is that sometimes we think that I call it the the chalkboard in heaven fallacy, where God has this chalkboard in heaven with every calling in your ward listed on this, and he has a specific name next to every single calling in your ward. And it's up to you as the leader to determine what God's thinking, right? And so we can put so much pressure on ourselves to think, okay, who is going to be the second Sunday, Sunday school teacher for the youth, you know, and who does God want, right? And sometimes I, I see a lot of leaders put extra pressure on themselves and I say, well, actually, you've got the keys, like you can make some decisions and move forward. And it's not like you have to read God's mind in every aspect of it, but maybe I'm wrong. What, what are your thoughts as far as like that, the pressure to call the right person, right? And I'm sure you felt that going into a stake that I've got to call the right person. Well, First of all, just using your example of with the bishop and looking at the callings in the ward, etc. Mm-hmm. I think it's good that priesthood leaders are concerned about it and pray about it. Mm-hmm. But as you are suggesting so beautifully, it's not helpful to uh, get overly anxiously, overly anxious about it. Once again, there is uh, an opportunity where you try to do the best you can in understanding circumstance. And there will be occasions, definitely occasions, where there is a, a prompting that says that sister is to be in this calling yeah. and it's to happen immediately. Yeah, I've had those. Yep. And so absolutely. And so those come and you acknowledge them. And on many other occasions, it is here are five different people that could serve. 
and they would all be blessed by it. And I think in in a, a little mini circumstance like that, you can say, okay, of all these that are worthy to serve and willing and able to serve at this time, which person would be most blessed by this? And how would it help them in whatever may come to them in the future? Yeah. I think that's a valid consideration. Yeah. I just appreciate that, that, you know, realizing that, because I would imagine there were some stakes that you walked into and you're thinking, you know, there's, there's three men here that would be great stake presidents. And, you know, I'm going to consider all the options and. Usually it was many more than that. (laughs) Oh, I bet. (laughs) But Kurt, once again, I am a witness to the marvelous blessing of revelation as it relates to, that occurs every weekend on this earth with uh, general authorities all over the earth seeking the Lord's direction on someone that is to be called as a state president. It occurs. It is real. God speaks. And he sends two witnesses. He sends, whenever there's a stake reorganization, there are two brethren there, 270 generally. It could be mm-hmm. uh, Member of the twelve and a seventy or something, but there are there are two witnesses there, and those two witnesses seek confirmation, and it needs to come to each one of them as to who independently as to who the Lord called. Now they counsel together, they consider things together, but ultimately each of them respond uh, are accountable to the Lord in saying, "We have received Thy direction, and we're we're grateful for it," yeah. and then acting. And it is real. And in uh, my experience, it was it was as varied as could be in terms of how things unfolded. But it always was ultimately a clear direction on how to proceed with things being confirmed. It it oftentimes took a lot of work, but it was uh, the Lord eventually made his will known. And it was a great blessing. Yeah. Any advice or perspective you give to leaders who feel like maybe a, a state presidency who's trying to de- decide on a next bishop of a ward and that just it just isn't coming and they're they're not settled with it uh, obviously in, in in your role as a general authority you had till sunday at 10 or whenever i mean you needed to have a name you know so you sort of had that pressure and luckily that revelation would come but for those leaders who just aren't feeling like they're they're settling on a certain name if something, well, if, if something isn't settling and, and uh, so they need to make sure that they have all the information they can available to them, both as to the individual and to family circumstance and uh, marital relationships and, and all of those things. They need to, they need to have as clear as possible everything that they, they can. All the, they need to give the Lord everything they can to work with. Mm-hmm. And then once that is, those things are known and they look at the options, if, if it's a case of there being several men, any one of whom could serve, I think it's helpful to ask the question in terms of what lies in the future, trying to understand what the Lord may be doing here. For which man would this calling best bless his life, not only for what he will experience as a bishop, but for what he may experience hereafter, whatever that may be. Yeah. And I think asking that question helps bring some clarity to the consideration at times. Yeah. I'm curious, and I don't mean to belabor this this point, but it's such an interesting dynamic that I feel like doesn't get talked about a lot. But just with this, sometimes as a leader, you know, you want to call people or you want people to be called that are 
a sure bet, right? That you can depend on that are stable. And so you naturally default to when you start, you know, considering names, you default to a list of people who sometimes they get termed the same 10 people, right? Or the, the people we always see in these, these certain callings. Is that, uh, and, and, and I can see in, in one sense how that can sort of limit the revelation inspiration process. Was there anything you would do or process you'd take to make sure that you weren't just defaulting to, you know, the leader that seemed stable, had a good job that, you know, wasn't, that there were less variables for it to go wrong? Oh, absolutely. I don't know how to describe this other than uh, the way I've been, uh, I've been trying to. You, you gather the information that you can. You see what, and you're asking the question, what's going to best bless these lives? How is this best going to unfold? And I think we can all turn to experiences where men and women have been called to positions at times when I suspect those that were sustaining them wondering how in the world this happened. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a, a part of a process that the Lord was engaged in, in, uh, in blessing the life. So I, I don't know what I can uh, say here to address the need that you're that you're trying to help uh, <laughs> help us all recognize here, but we need to look at those that are not in the normal seats. There's such a vast resource, and there's so many blessings that flow and that, that can be extended to so many people if they're willing to respond. And the Lord can direct how that happens, and it's miraculous when it does. Yeah, I bet. I appreciate that. And and thanks for letting me uh, belabor that point a little bit, but it's a fascinating discussion for sure. So uh, shift gears a little bit to another interesting story in your book that I found really, really thought provoking is you gave this example of a, when you were stake president and you were at a, I think it was a youth conference and they sort of had this concluding testimony meeting and sort of the dynamic that happened there. Would you mind telling that story and, and seeing what we can learn from it? Yeah. It was a marvelous youth conference. We had a very large, very active stake. So there were big numbers involved in all this. And with the large and active stake with this youth conference, it, we had, it had been planned well. There were lots of adults, uh, appropriate adults involved with this. And in this closing testimony meeting that we were having, it was being directed by the youth. And we were in a bit of an amphitheater in the venue that we were in. And so we were, we were able to see everyone and it was, uh, it was very nice. And those of us that were seated in front, we had a podium set up. We could see that with the youth, they were coming up and bearing testimony, but the, they were not bearing testimony. They were coming up and talking about how much they loved each other and how much they loved the leaders that, that were there. And there wasn't much being said by way of testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ or recognition of his hand and what had occurred in this marvelous experience we'd had in the previous few days. And so it was not inappropriate in that sense. It was just missing the mark. But as it proceeded, it was clear. I felt clearly a spirit that was developing that was not consistent with the spirit of the Lord. As the youth were beginning to sob they were starting to hug each other in the congregation. They were trying to, several of them, sit on one seat. It was emotional, but it wasn't spiritual. 
I don't know how to express that. Like they were, they were focusing on the sort of the camaraderie of the group, right? They loved each other. They had a great time. They had some experiences together, but that was different than a testimony of of Christ or the gospel and things like that. And as that was, as that was happening, as one of the speaker uh, concluded, another was coming to the podium. I stood up and went to the podium and I just instructed the youth. I drew their attention to what was happening. I instructed them to all get back in their own seats and to now listen as we talked about what a testimony was and why and what that meant. And as we did, I felt impressed to promise them that if they would, from this point on, while it would be appropriate to express appreciation for one another and for leaders, if they would give attention to bearing witness of the Savior and how they had witnessed his hand in what had occurred in this conference and in their lives and other instances, as they felt impressed to do so, they would feel something different and they would be able to discern the distinction in what they had felt previously and what they were feeling now. And we were able to talk about the, uh, the fact that emotion does not always coincide with spirit. Often it does, but not necessarily. And that happened. The youth uh, started bearing testimony of the Savior. There was a different spirit that prevailed. And as I mentioned in the book to this day, I've there have been people that have commented on what they remember that experience and they remember the distinction that they felt in that occasion. So it is that was part of a lesson of learning to discern, learning to know how to invite the spirit and some cautionary things about things that may lead us astray with uh, some emotion. There are times when we, when our responses are more emotional than they are spiritual. I think in our council meetings, I don't want this to be misunderstood, but I think at times in our council meetings, we sometimes attempt to validate what we're expressing by adding the description, I feel really strongly about this. Mm, yeah. Now, it's good to feel strongly, and, and that is a means by which the Lord does communicate with us and teach us. But other people in that room are also searching and feeling. And where that expression is used to try and supersede what someone else may be expressing, I think we need to be cautious and recognize that the strong feeling may be motivated by a private agenda that we don't fully acknowledge yet. Yeah. And uh, so we just need to be cautious about it. Yeah. And I appreciate that, how you articulate that in the book is that just sort of recognizing that, you know, like in that testimony meeting, there was maybe some, some camaraderie and love for each other that was getting in the way of what the spirit is there to do. And then in in a council setting, sometimes there's, there's passions, there's uh, focuses, there's personal experience that sort of leads us to feel very strongly about things, but not assuming that that strong feeling is the spirit in some form wanting to communicate through you in a strong way, right? I think that's that's so helpful to recognize and step back and, re- and let it unfold a little bit more naturally. Well, it may, and it may be that that strong feeling is the spirit, right? but, but it, it's important to acknowledge that there may be other strong feelings among others. And yeah. you can't, with your strong feeling, invalidate the feeling of another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But oftentimes it is just, it is more emotion. And when it is that, there's value in some introspection and saying, is there a private agenda that I'm trying to protect yours? Yeah. So, you know, with this, in the context of this, you know, 
better hearing the spirit, understanding the spirit, and trusting that voice. From your experience in those settings of, of a council meeting, what process do you go through or how do you keep yourself in check to make sure that that it's not just a strong feeling that from a secret agenda? Any any advice you give there? Let me uh, back up just a step okay, and say that in a council meeting, oftentimes everyone is just looking to the bishop. So I'm going to say a ward council meeting, for example. Sure, yeah. Everyone is just looking to the bishop to make the declarative word, to, to mm-hmm. just tell us what we're supposed to do, and we'll go on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll salute, and we'll go on. Yeah. And there is great value in the council and with the bishop that is able to draw out from the group the thoughts and feelings and uh, recommendations of others, and then to see what be and and as it's in real time, as it's occurring, to rather than stepping in and directing it, let that flow a little. Let it see where the Spirit of the Lord takes that. Hmm. And as it develops, if it starts to go off on a errant track, then find some way to uh, say something to bring it back. But don't feel like like there has to be a declarative authoritative expression on yeah. every matter. Yeah. Now, in as that is fostered, a council begins to gain greater confidence in itself, and the members begin to gain greater confidence in each other. They listen more carefully to each other. And eventually, a decision needs to be made. But in my experience as a state president, I remember in uh, state presidency meetings and in uh, high council meetings and those things, there would be times when we'd be discussing matters and there would be disagreement. And people would say, well, President, just make a decision and we'll decide and, and we'll go from there and we'll do whatever you want to do. And my response would be, no, we're just going to let this rest for a while. We'll bring this up again another time. And it was remarkable what would happen as we would come back together on sometimes more than two or three occasions to address the same matter as the spirit of the Lord would begin to allow a direction to rest with everyone where everyone felt comfortable. That is the spirit of unanimity of which the Lord speaks in the uh, doctrine covenants that the general authorities are to work with. And it's a great pattern for all of us in the church to consider. Yeah. Oh, that's so helpful. And then, you know, you use the term, I don't know if but the, the term, you know, let it flow a little bit. Like I, I love that perspective of, cause I remember being the Bishop and suddenly the, you know, the primary presidents, it's kind of disagreeing with the elders quorum president and there's some passion there. And I'd sort of be like, ah, like let's diffuse this and just make a decision and move on. But, you know, let it flow a little bit, see where this is heading. You know, obviously you don't want it to go off the rails too much and you might step in at some point, but just letting it unfold a little bit and and being curious about, the dynamic of where the council's going and there's deeper revelation there, right? And helping both the primary president and the elders quorum president to respect one another. Yeah. And to acknowledge that and to, and to just see where the spirit of the Lord will take them. Yeah. Awesome. Well, as we wrap up, just sort of a question with, uh, in regards to, you know, being in a leadership position, oftentimes people come to you for advice and, uh, they want to know the answer, right? Just sort of the dynamic you, sh- you shared about in the council meeting. Bishop, just tell us what to do. Tell me what to do, Bishop, and I'll do it and solve my problem. And then I can blame you if it doesn't work out. <laughs> but 
you know, just this, and you give some great examples, many of them in your book with regards to your children of how you help them develop their own skill and ability, their own experience with the spirit and hearing and recognizing. And so I'm just curious when, how can we better help individuals instead of just giving them our advice or, well, what I would do is, but instead of helping them guide on how to seek out their own inspiration and, and spirit of the whatever question or concern they have? By asking inspired questions and asking them of the individual, share with me what you've uh, experienced on this. What have you done? What have you considered? Have you looked in these areas? Have you considered these things? And asking questions, inspired questions that invite people to think more deeply and perhaps through a question to open an avenue of thinking that they have not previously considered. But ultimately, with the questioning and with all that is occurring, to continually turn them to the Lord because He does live and He does speak to us. It is real. It is something on which we are dependent. And as we help each other, turn to that and feel it. It's like in uh, our families when we are, there have been times every child, son and daughter of God uh, is accountable to God and, and uh, according to their circumstances. And sometimes things, uh, people just are rebel against God. But in our families, as we read the scriptures, as we pray together, it is not that we're just trying to get children to or youth in the church, or as we're working with investigators, missionaries working with investigators, or elders, quorum presidents working with families that have been less active. It's it's not that we're just trying to get them to check the box and say, I read the Book of Mormon, or I read today, or I said my prayers. It is, what have they felt while they've done that? In that process, how do we help them feel and recognize that they're feeling something? Because with that recognition, when challenges come, they can exercise faith in the Lord and turn to Him and receive answers and receive guidance. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. And I just love the idea of, because sometimes the question is, it, it seems easy to answer and just say, here's my advice. And this was really worked for me every time. And you should just do that. But to just continually turn them back towards the Lord and, and through the, you know, the power of questions is is remarkable, you know? So... Elder Cardin, this has been awesome. I appreciate you entertaining all my questions. Some of them in, a bit too in the weeds, but I learned so much Not and gained all. so much for this. Anything we're missing or point or concept that you want to make sure we, we hit on before we wrap up? The hierarchy of heaven is amazingly flat. God speaks to all of us. And uh, we can have great confidence in that. He'll speak to us if we'll listen and if we're worthy to hear him. And Helping one another to understand that and feel it, even in troubled times, is important. And the title of the book, Growing Up into the Lord, comes from Helaman chapter 3, where Mormon gives a description of Helaman's sons, Nephi and Lehi. And in the midst of all the, all of the societal trouble that they were facing, everything that was going on in society in that time, Mormon says of Helaman's boys, Nephi and Lehi, they began to grow up unto the Lord. Now, what did that mean? It meant more than they were just, they were checking boxes. It meant that they were making connections with the Lord. They were learning how to approach Him and, and hear His voice and have confidence in it. And that's the message, that's the need, that we, that we trust that and that we help each other 
recognize it and, re- and uh, respond to it. Mm, love that. Well, I've got one more question for you, but uh, where this your book just released? We're recording this uh, at the end of January, and it just uh, just dropped. Any place specific you'd send people if they want to check out the book and and read it? It's available on uh, Amazon in electronic form, ebook form. Now it will be also available from Amazon in hard copy, paperback copy uh, within a, a week or two. I'm I'm told, and it's available from the publisher uh, Cedar Fort. Yeah, and Cedar uh, Fort's also, a, a, uh, it, it's just available with uh, hard copy paperback from Cedar Fort. Perfect, and Cedar Fort's a great publisher that's well respected and has published a lot of great titles from individuals like yourself. So, well, Elder Carden, again, thank you. And the last question I have uh, for you is: as you reflect on your life as a leader in various leadership callings, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, it has helped me to see. It has provided a form wherein I've been able to observe, witness the hand of the Lord made powerfully manifest in the lives of others with His children. And it has uh, strengthened my testimony of who He is and what His work is and how we can be involved, every one of us, in helping Him accomplish His work in these last days. That concludes my interview with Elder Cray A. Carden. A big shout out to him for uh, being willing to come on the Leading Saints podcast and uh, have me fire some questions out to him. And also just a shout out to his daughter who originally reached out to uh, suggest that we get him on the podcast and hopefully he sees great success in, with his book. Again, the title is Growing Up Unto the Lord, Recognizing and Responding to the Voice of the Spirit, Living in Peace and Blessing Generations. We'll link to it in the show notes. Definitely check it out. Leave him a review at Amazon to help him you know, get this good word out there, get more people reading it and uh, exposed to these great doctrines and, and concepts. This is like a great book. Like if you need a book to gather the, the family and read a chapter and talk about some of these concepts, because he gives some, some great anecdotes within the book with his children and, and they're just inspiring and fun to read and, and would really apply to any Latter-day Saint family. And if there's anybody else that you would recommend that we reach out to and interview, uh, that's how a lot of these interviews get started. We get an email at some point that recommends somebody and it turns into a fantastic interview. So we would love to hear from you to know who that is. Obviously, we can't interview everybody, but we would love for you to email us at leadingsaints.org slash contact. Let us know who we should reach out to. Maybe uh, ideally, if you have a connection to them, that always helps and uh, see what other future episodes we can line up to inspire us all. And I remind you once again to text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to subscribe to the Leading Saints weekly newsletter. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.